106.3 FM. Ken Miller. Trent Condon. Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome in. Miller and Condon on a Tuesday. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3. On the FM dial is Trent Condon and Ken Miller, and we're with you here uh, right up until noon talking local sports with you. BMW of Des Moines guest list looks like this today. As promised, we are going to spend a segment every day this week devoted to our, our quote, regional MLB teams. Yesterday, we took a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. Today, we'll do the same with the Kansas City Royals. Andrew Logue, formerly the Des Moines Register, and a guy who will watch, I don't know, 158 of 162. <laughs> uh, and he's seen some bad Royals games uh, in this last couple of years. But Andrew Logue will be, help us out with the Kansas City Royals, who will have fans in their ballpark uh, here when they start the uh, regular season. Logue on the Royals in 25 minutes. Then we're going to talk Iowa State with Michael Swain, our friend from 24-7 Sports, CycloneAlert.com. Football perking up over there. Of course, there's news uh, in the basketball, men's basketball offices as well, with the staff additions. Uh, as Kyle Green gets the gig, as it was uh, rumored to be, uh, that became official yesterday. So we'll talk Iowa State with Michael Swain coming up here at 1045. Then in the 11 o'clock hour, do some high school sports and some wrestling with Cody Goodwin of the Des Moines Register. Of course, the news that came out yesterday that there's going to be the city schools uh, are going to uh, leave the CIML and uh, be a part of that new conference. We'll pick Cody's uh, brain on that before Scott Dockerman will join us at 1130. For Doc, he slides in here. We will recap yesterday's uh, Kirk Ferentz Media Availability Day. Of course, the Hawks begin spring practice here today uh, with some questions, certainly, on the uh, defensive line. Glaring? Is that too big strong of a word, glaring? There are uh, some concerns. I, I don't think the defensive line as a whole is the concern, more the pass rush. That's where I am. Okay. I think they're going to be fine against the run. I, I think they'll hold up there. They'll be sturdy enough because seemingly they always are. Mm-hmm. They find a way up front. But getting to the quarterback, getting a guy that – is there a guy on the team that you've taken over five and a half sacks on the year right now? Oh, boy. I, uh, I, no. I wouldn't. No. <laughs> if I put it at four and a half? I'd still think I'd be on the under. Maybe I'd be Van Volkenberg gets to five. But yeah. that's kind of where I am right now. And mm-hmm. that's the concern with this team, certainly defensively, because – Defensive backfield is stacked. Oh, so are linebackers. Jack Campbell is uh-huh. is the biggest revelation, just eye opener that I've seen in a long time in mm-hmm. Iowa football. A guy that just felt different. And he and he, and he does. And Ference went out of his way to mention the backups that are going to be mm-hmm. uh, competing for some playing time at the linebacker position. I'm with you. The back seven, there's no worries in my opinion. Secondary and linebackers are just fine. It's they uh, front four. They dipped in last year. To the transfer portal. They brought in Jack Heflin, who was good. Mm-hmm. And certainly you could saw came on at the end of the season. Yep. You go that route again. Are you mm-hmm. are you are you at least playing in those waters and seeing what is available? Can't hurt, Trent. Yeah. Can't hurt. Um I'm with you. If 
I mean, you're certainly not married to anything you've got uh, in in the front four so far. Uh, Black's a kid. What's his name? Yaya. Yaya Black. Said? Yeah. Uh, that, that's a kid that uh, certainly created some buzz last year, mm-hmm. and more so on just because of his name. Right. Uh, there's apparently some ability there. So we shall see. So Scott Darkerman uh, at eleven thirty. Look forward to catching up with our friend Scott Darkerman. But Trent, we talk. Uh, we start rather uh, with what we saw last night, with what we hope to see here tonight. Look, as the game started to get away, particularly in the second game at the beginning when Banner looked as though they were just going to completely blow Arkansas out, thinking to myself, boy, there have been some bad games, right? There have been some blows. And I caught myself very quickly thinking... What would you have signed? How much would what? What's your, one of your nuts would you have cut off to have this last year? Right to be complaining uh-huh. about blowout games, and then everything was fine. It went went it went away very quickly, and I got back to the enjoyment that is the NCAA tournament. Um, but Arkansas, to their credit, they, they 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 kept it close. Oregon State in the first game, Houston looked as though they were going to run them off the floor. Boy, that's a weird team, Houston. They are. We. And remember, I remember we had this conversation. It was a fleeting moment. I think I might have been given a pick on a Houston game in yeah. November or something. And one of their best players left the team. Right. It just you said that yesterday. Well, someday, yeah, last it, a few days. And it was just one of those weird things. Mm-hmm. How these teams are able to do that? UCLA with what they had, and I, I just don't get it. I don't get how. Well, I guess for Houston, it's playing. Obviously, a 15 in the first round. Well, that doesn't hurt, right? Yeah, double-digit seeds until they get the way, to Baylor. Yeah. <laughs> All the way through right. of getting four games and the bracket opening up that way. That helps, but you're right. A weird team. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I, I loved Houston yesterday and got backdoor covered, but against yeah, the number. Three, that three was a major, <laughs> major swing. And there was a yelp that was let out of the Condon household on that one last night. Well, it's funny I mean, you mentioned that because I saw a video. Some guy was at, uh, at the new St- Circa sports book <laughs> in Las Vegas in downtown. That's the stadium seating, the one with the pool. And he actually turned his camera on mm-hmm. for the final few seconds and had a look from the side of the everybody that was there watching. And the different reactions. People on your side uh-huh. of the bet, people on the other side of the bet that it paid off, but... Uh, Oh, it's so much fun to watch games like that in books. There's, there's, there's nothing like an NFL Sunday in, in a sports book. And I don't know if it's changed. I mean, I haven't been since legalized gambling exploded. Mm-hmm. But man, oh man, it used to be so much fun. Just the, the ups and downs of sports wagering, and you experienced it down last night. But one of the big things I loved about Houston is how this game played out. They shoot, what, 32% they from the floor? They can't shoot to save their lives, no. Trent, but boy, they can guard you. Quentin Grimes hit a couple of big uh-huh. threes, but even him, I mean, this is also McDonald's All-American, remember? I mean, yeah. these guys normally don't show up to Houston, certainly mm-hmm. haven't since Clyde and Akeem. And Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Going back almost 40 years ago, and well, Kelvin certainly made a, fo- a lot of phone calls, I'm sure, to get Quentin Grimes there. But <laughs> they offensive rebounding. They, but in the scheme of things, what he got busted for when you oh, take a look what's going on now right. in college basketball. Yes, right. It is. He was making too many phone that, calls. That's what he, that's, that, that was show cause, was it not? It was five yeah, year right. show cause that he got uh-huh. and went to the NBA. They dropped the hammer on him. They did for making phone calls. Now, might there have been more? Maybe. Well, and the other part, and this is. Something I, I found interesting that's been glossed over a lot by the the national media talking about this was that it wasn't just the phone calls. He in the report it also says that he wasn't exactly forthright with the investigators. 
That's why the five oh, years. So he lied. Yes. Yeah. It's the same thing the as lie. Bruce Pearl. Bruce Pearl uh-huh. would probably still be at Tennessee and probably mm-hmm. be on his way to being mm-hmm. a Hall of Famer. But he lied about Aaron Kraft at a barbecue in his backyard. Right. If he just told the truth, slap on the wrist. Yep. You move on. Yep. Because he was there during his sophomore Cover year. Up's always worse than the crime trend. And that's exactly what it was. And, and same thing here with Kelvin Sampson. If he would have been up front. And think of the team he had at Indiana. Oh, he had Jesus. Eric Gordon there. He had things going, and we know how well that can coach Indiana basketball. And then on top of it, to do this whole tournament, get Houston back since 84 for the first time and do it in the state of Indiana, <laughs> the storylines are wild. No, they really are. Now there'll be two Texas teams, and one of them will play for a national championship a week from last night. So uh, decent games. Glad Oregon State was able to, not not that you lost your bet, but made mm-hmm. it close. Yeah. Uh, likewise, in the late game, Arkansas. I mean, it was four for the longest time in the second half, Trent. And just couldn't get that nope. one final push. And when they got it to four, it felt like, mm-hmm. here we go. Mm-hmm. Arkansas, this is what they've done all year long. What is it, 12 games they've won? One, being down double digits right. this year. Well, I saw Hassel tweet. When they made the scores, I don't know, 21 to 8. Something he tweeted. Got them right where they want them. I'm thinking, come on. <laughs> Are you watching the same game I am? This isn't even going to be close. I grabbed them... When they got got it back to like seven in the first half, but they were still plus. I think it was seven seventy five on the money line. Were they really? Yeah. So I grabbed a little bit just because I've seen Arkansas mm-hmm. and that's what they've done all season long. When they got it to four, I started rubbing my hands yeah. together and <laughs> with you. It was one of those nights of gambling that just uh, don't break your way. But a fun game and Musselman. Now that's a guy that took Nevada and remember the talent he had a couple years ago in Reno. You know, they made Reno. a good run. Yes. Reno's not exactly the easiest place to recruit to. No. <laughs> Reno's a dump. Right. And he brought that kind of talent there. He had, what, the Martin Twins, I think, they had that transferred in. They had a bunch of transfers on that team. And now he's doing it at Arkansas. And you can say, Arkansas's a really good job. We've seen almost 25 years now, a lot of guys have taken a crack at it and haven't been able to mm-hmm. do it. I think more than every, anything... Muscle was just a great coach. In year well, two to take this team to the lead eight. Certainly proved it with this team, Trent. I'm yeah. with you. And um, the future now, I think Arkansas basketball is back. Is he a guy, though, because he's goofy. Now, he's a weird duck. Yeah. Is he a guy that blue bloods sniff around? Is he a guy that Carolina, Roy Boy hangs it up? Does Carolina make a call to a guy like Boy, it that? It doesn't seem like a fit on the It does, surface, it does. does it. It, uh-uh. I had that thought Don't you want somebody night. a little more buttoned up if you're taking... Does Texas make that call? Or, if, or is Texas waiting for April 1st? Well, and it feels that way. When, when we buyout, flip the yeah. calendar and the no. buyout goes down for Chris Beard. But if whatever reason we find out that Beard says no. Mm-hmm. even te- Texas even feels like a, a weird fit for North him. Carolina does for sure. Yes. Duke, absolutely. Right. A weird fit. But are those kind of jobs out he there? Coach he, Trent. And you can bend the rules a little bit at Arkansas, is that fair to say? Mm, probably. <laughs> yeah. It's an SEC school after uh-huh. all. Probably learn, you ain't cheating, you ain't take, trying. Take a page from their football brethren. Uh, by the way, speaking of the football brethren, two really important uh, pro days today, and it's funny where Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are. They're at Alabama watching Mac Jones. They're not in Columbus watching Justin Fields, Trent. I saw something interesting uh, on the NFL draft. I want to get your perspective on it, because that, as we talked about yesterday, is just weird. Wouldn't you at least split it up? Some one guy, one place, and one the eye. Or is it all smokescreen? But why do you have to? Why do you at at 
where they sit now, mm-hmm. there's no. They don't have to do smokescreen situation. They know the Jacksonville is taking Lawrence at one. Mm-hmm. They know that Wilson is going two to the Jets. The draft starts at three, and it starts with them. So I don't know why they would feel necessary to try and do a clandestine move, mm-hmm. other than the fact that Kyle Shanahan might have learned from Pops who not only didn't go to Vanderbilt for Jay Cutler's Pro Day, never spoke to him in Indianapolis at the Combine. The first time they spoke was on the phone after Shanahan drafted Cutler. So maybe, you know, Junior's learned learned from his dad, but... Anyways, I'm sorry to to, to interrupt your train of thought. Oh, no, no, no problem at all, because it... It's just odd. On the surface, that is really, really odd. I found this one, too. Did you see that each school, when they went through their pro days, are going through them currently, depending on what school it is, that they are allowed five underclassmen that can go through the workout in front of NFL scouts. Mm -hmm. I saw this because uh, Keaton Slovis at USC, he was one of the guys because people were freaking out because he was going through pro day. And I can't remember, it was some national reporter, though, had a tweet this morning saying, got confirmation each school is allowed up to five underclass or guys that are coming back that are able to go through your current pro day. So Brees Hall could have yes. gone through. And now I'm wondering, he wasn't on that list, and yeah. the, but did he? Did he? And even if it's not running the 40, uh-huh. but doing interviews, is right. that a part of it too? I would like to get a little more information what, on that because it, that's got to be a great selling point too. Uh-huh. And also a great selling point for guys coming back or guys that are on the fence. And this must be new this it year, is. right? It is yeah. new. This is a another thing. I don't know if this is just a one-off because okay. of the pandemic, yeah. if this is a one-off deal that they're doing. But I think that's incredibly a right. great idea. It is. And you, yeah, you don't want everybody going through it because it takes away from the guys that are not just the guys that are going to be drafted, but those free agent guys right. taking eyeballs away from them. But five, and then I thought might be a fun exercise for us some uh, some <laughs> to morning to, figure out, to figure out what five you would choose, yeah. what five guys on the Iowa and Iowa State rosters uh, you choose to go through that exercise. Well, now it's down to four because we know one of them, at least in names. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a pretty easy one over at Iowa at Linderbaum. Yeah, that's for sure. Right. That That's for certain. So we're down to four on each that's side. That's a good point. That's really an excellent quickly. point. Uh, indeed. All right, so the late game last night, Baylor. Uh, takes it to uh, uh, takes it to Arkansas again. Arkansas makes it close, but it sets up Houston and Baylor. And just first thoughts right off the bat here, the number came out. Is it five or five and a half? Let's Baylor see. was, I think, well, it's one of those. It's either five or five and a half. When Circa put it out last night, uh, that they were the first. Um, on the surface, if Baylor plays the way Baylor has been playing in this tournament, and Houston is struggles as much as they do offensively. I certainly like the under. I see a four and a half out there already. Do you really? So yeah. the number's coming down? Coming down. Because it was in the fives for sure. Yeah. Uh, I see consensus open was five. Uh, there was a five and a half out there. But yeah, mostly five, circa at five. Uh, but uh, Win is the one that has it at four mm-hmm. and a half currently. Mm-hmm. You've been to the Win? I have not. Boy, it's a palace. What's the place? I was just talking to somebody about Vegas the other day. The place that's like a hotel or a, like a apartments behind that's... The place that you used to stay, you the said Palms, a lot. Palms Place that's I used to what, stay at. And yeah. it has a new name now? Well, it's not open. Oh, it's not open. Right. They, they, the Palms Hotel is closed. That's why I couldn't find it, because I was right. Googling it, trying to figure out. Ken talked about this oh, place. Oh, it's, it's the best place to stay, Trent. It's Are awesome. they opening back, or are they doing something uh, apparently different? Apparently this summer. They spent. They just had spent like hundreds of millions of dollars to refurbish it. Yeah. And then boom, COVID hits. Goes away. Uh, that's the hotel... Um, 
the Maloof brothers. Do you remember them? Mm-hmm. They own yeah. Sacramento. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah. I love now. It's off the strip, um, but there's there's a lot of reasons I like staying there. <laughs> there's two pot stores right across the street. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, right across yeah. the street. You walk out your door. Uh-huh. You go through the you go through the intersection. You don't like this one? Go to the one on the right. Um, it just blows me away that it's legal in so many states now. It really does. We're getting close here. Well, I, listen, I don't go there. <laughs> I don't think I'll see it in my lifetime in Iowa, but yeah. it's just amazing that all the surrounding states do. Anyways, um, so I, first blush, Baylor, Houston, your thoughts. And what's the total? What's One, the, what's 136 and a half. That's where my mind went first, yeah. and I like the under Me too. at that number. Uh, some 130, oh, 130, 135 at Bed MGM, also at circa 135. So that's a little shopping number there, but again, Wynn has it at 136 and a half. That's mm-hmm. where I'd be jumping on the under. I think more than either side, and maybe it's just because I got burned so bad late in the game uh, last <laughs> night, but first blush, I'd take Baylor. I'd I would it, too. I'd lay it with Baylor. Yep, I'm with you. This is something we talked about yesterday, though, and still my concern with the Bears. Got off to the great start. I felt like an idiot. Oh, great. Here mm-hmm. we go. Look at how good they looked offensively. And then Mitchell picked up his third foul with, what, 11, 12 minutes or something yeah. in the first half? That's a different team with him not on the floor, and he doesn't wow you scoring-wise. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to no. because they have just so many ways right. they can. But they have these lulls offensively uh-huh. where it just gets bad. And against Houston, who yeah. makes most everybody look bad, mm-hmm. yeah, the under. In fact, uh, commercial break coming up, I think I might be <laughs> fired at that right away. Yeah, I, I did know this. Uh, Scott Drew uh, said, or one of, the, one of the Baylor interviews after the game, you know what Mitchell's nickname is? Hmm. Off night. Because whoever plays him seemingly has an off night. That's a you know, great he comes nickname. to the, I yeah. oh, just had an off night. That's <laughs> well, a he had an nickname. off night, we played Baylor. Well, he had an off night because, <laughs> um, yeah, he flat out guards you. Both of these teams, both of these teams' defense is their uh, calling card. All right, real quick, we'll spend more time on this later. Mm-hmm. Tonight, I've told you, I think USC, it's too many points. From, from where I sit, yeah. now, I could be dead wrong on this, obviously, but watching this USC team, and it's crazy to think, but Drake put up the toughest fight against anybody mm-hmm. uh, that's played USC so far. The first 20 minutes, that was the tight basketball game. Um, I think Gonzaga-USC is going to be a rock fight. And I don't. I think it's going to be the coronation is going to continue for the Zags, and they're going to run away. The great shooting that we've seen from USC is going to normalize to the rates that we've seen throughout this season. They're not going to stay as red hot as they've been throughout this tournament. Of course, we know what happens inside. Timmy is just such... His footwork is Mm -hmm. incredible. He's tough. He's going to be a problem for Mobley. And another dirty secret about Mobley is, dude gets in foul trouble. He hasn't, of course, here during this Mm -hmm. run, but he got in foul trouble a lot this year at USC. I think Timmy's the guy that's going to have that again. I think we're uh, going to be looking at a l- another laugher in game one. Do you really? Yeah. So the, so the number, what is it? Is it nine, eight and a half, nine, it's nine eight and a half? It's eight and a half, yeah. So it's come down a little bit. It has, yeah. Ticking that way. You got the, the public is on your side. Are they? I'm going to fade the public mm. here, and I'm going to grab the Zags. Well, if uh, if the two guards play like they did against Oregon, particularly on the offensive, I mean, that white need, he put up huge, huge numbers. Both of the Mobleys. Yes, yeah. I mean, the, the older Mobley, um, he's been good in this tournament. Which, he's not this good. Or it hasn't shown that he's this good. <laughs> I keep waiting for him to not be this good, but he's been good lately. Turn into a pumpkin here tonight. Yeah. How about this is USC playing for their first Final Four since 1954? Crazy. 
And Baylor got there for the first time since what? what 1950? 50? Bill Henderson, Jeez. coach. 1950. Wow. They went uh, in 48 and 50. But also back then, the NIT was the bigger tournament. Right. You're, lo- you're right. Uh, also, I was hearing something about North Carolina the other day during the UCLA run, and they went to the NIT, and they chose because that was a big deal back then, but also because they didn't want to have to play UCLA mm. during that run. And just how different it is what we're going through today and what we've gone through really the last 40 years mm-hmm. compared to what it was mm-hmm. back when Bill Henderson was taking Baylor to two Final Fours in three years and USC was there in 54. And I'll go back to the 50s when I was there. And Iowa State made a quote-unquote Final Four. It wasn't even called a Final Four back then, huh. though we still use that moniker. Uh, I'm anxious to see the television numbers, how they did last night mm-hmm. when the numbers come out. Um, going to be tough, right? I think so, too. Not Outside of Arkansas, really no basketball brands. Difficult draw. You're mm-hmm. right. I mean, Oregon State. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeesh. Um, but it's basketball, and we'll see. I didn't see much of the women's game last night. I was glad, like a uh, like a lot of people, that uh, Kim Mulkey was pissed off after the game. Boy, oh boy, she <laughs> was she all worst? over my timeline last no. night. There's a lot of people that I follow or um, that really... Weren't shedding any tears at all when the Baylor women got mm-hmm. beaten by by all accounts at the expense of a bad call that uh, well, a bad non call in this case. It was a very physical game because I went over there after Houston Oregon State was ugly as mm-hmm. anticipated it was going to be, and it also looked like Houston was just running them off the floor. And until Oregon State tar- started to chip into it there in the second half, I went over to that one. That was a really physical game, and everybody points to that one call that went against Baylor. There was plenty of calls that went the other way against UConn, too, where they were hacked, and that isn't brought up. You go to that one singular play. It was just the way the game was called. Did they miss a call? Absolutely. But I'm not going to shed any tears for Kim, Kim Mulkey. She, she might be one of the least likable figures in, in sports. sports. Yeah. Right. And then when she's trying, she's filling with her mask at the press conference. I mean, come on. Well, and then she says, that, and I hope they don't. But be- this is on the heels of. What she said prior to the tournament that they're using, I'm paraphrasing. I'm not going to, I want to be closer than I think I can get, so I'll just leave it at that. But yeah, it wasn't a a good look. But look, we say it all the time, Trent. I'm convinced the most difficult sport to officiate has to be basketball. Yes. Has to be basketball. Because you can can make a foul call every time down. Probably can, can. You can, we talk about this in holding in football. But think of the con- there is contact on every single play, and it comes to your discretion. You can make an argument on both sides, mm-hmm. and that's what makes it so difficult. You want to make the game grind to a halt? You whistle fifty fouls in a game. You want to let them go? Well, you're going to have something that happens like last night, and then you're going to miss what everybody thinks mm-hmm. is an obvious call. But if you didn't see the whole game, you missed. That's the way the game was. And my, my my only I guess. Um knock on the way that the, the officials if it's a foul in the first 39 minutes mm-hmm. it's a foul in minute or the first 38 minutes it's a foul in the 39th final minute right that would be my and, and i get to be the swallow the whistles we hear that all the time hear that in a lot of sports but um yeah there's been some agreement well, like iowa state got it done to them yeah, right, <laughs> right? Uh, what, uh, a week ago or wherever it was. All right, Andrew Logue, we're going to switch gears. We're going to do this. Uh, we did the Cardinals yesterday. We'll do the Royals today. Hopefully the Twins tomorrow. Uh, certainly the Cubs with Cappy. Boy, that Rizzo story. They lowballed the hell out of him. Did you see what they offered? I didn't know. So let me, let me preface it by um, by saying this. Paul Goldschmidt. 
2019, first baseman, roughly the same age as Rizzo, roughly the same body of work as Rizzo, right? Mm-hmm. Five years, $130 million for Goldschmidt. Five years, $130 million. Right? He's not the face of the Cardinals. No. Face of the Cubs was offered five years and $70 million. No. A difference of $60 million. I get it that everybody had a... There was a lot of money lost in sports everywhere, not just sports, Mm -hmm. in 2020. So maybe you have to tighten your belt a little bit to come to the face of your franchise and to lowball him the way that the Cubs did. And this number's been confirmed by a number of people, not just Cappy, but a number of people. Um, Five years, 70 million. When the guy on your rival, five years, 130 million. Goldschmidt's a nice player. Rizzo's a pretty nice player. Right? That's lowballing. That's embarrassing. Seventy million over five. Sixty million dollar difference between Goldschmidt and Rizzo, and that's how you want to treat the, your your the, your franchise. Uh, there was an ESPN article that said the indication a five year deal in today's market would be about a hundred. You come in with seventy four, the face of your franchise. What a slap in the face. It is. Andrew Logue next. Uh, we got a keyword about an hour from now. Our only keyword will take place in an hour. Our conversation on the Kansas City Royals is next. Cyclone talk in 20 minutes. 1460. KXNO 106. By Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM, just past 1030 on a Tuesday, 15 minutes or thereabouts. Michael Swain on Iowa State. Uh, TJ Otzelberger's completed his coaching staff. More on that coming up. Andrew Logue's going to help us with the Kansas City Royals, one of the regional teams. We're going to take a look at at least one of them between now uh, and Thursday. Cardinals yesterday, Royals today, hopefully Twins and the Cubs tomorrow. Uh, but right now, let's talk about those Kansas City Royals, Royals, your 2015 world champions, Andrew Logue, Andrew Trent, and Ken, formerly the Des Moines Register. We appreciate you coming on. We were speculating here today of the 162 Royals games. We put the over-under on the games you'll watch at about 156. <laughs> well, that depends on how the TV deal comes in. Thanks for having me, by the way, guys. Depends on this whole Sinclair and whether I can get him on my Hulu or how I have to hook it up. So that's kind of a debate raging now uh, with Royals fans as the season approaches. Is uh, uh, some people not going to be able to get the game mm. because of uh, network squabbling, and that's in Kansas City, by the way. So. Sadly enough, that's kind of the foremost conversation, I think, among Royals fans. Right yeah, now. I can understand that. Now you guys know how Dodger fans have felt over the last few years uh, in Los Angeles. Well, let's uh, let's say it all works out. Um, I think that the Royals, look, they're not back yet, Andrew, I, I don't think. No. But I think the arrow's pointing up, right? They seemingly have gone through that two-year period, their air quote, mm-hmm. rebuild. It seems yep. like... It seems like they're on the cusp of getting back to relevance. Would you agree with that? Yes. Um, I think I would sign off on 75 wins right now. And, uh, and it depends on who's the main contributor. Listen, I love getting Benatende. I love getting Carlos Santana. But those guys are sort of uh, stopgap players for the next couple of years. What you really want to see is 
is guys like uh, Chris Bubich and and obviously uh, you know Witt. Uh, Brady Sanger. Uh, Witt, yeah, obviously Bobby Witt Jr., who I think will be called up this summer. I think they're doing the smart thing with uh, uh, player control and mm-hmm. buying themselves an extra year. So those are the guys you want to see make an imprint. But yes, I agree. You know, the thing is, you look at their roster. They don't stand out as great anywhere, but unlike a couple of years ago, they're not terrible anywhere either. Um, we still don't know if uh, Michael Taylor's going to be able to hit. I like that they're keeping up Kyle Isbell. I think his floor is good. He certainly doesn't have the feeling of a Bobby Witt Jr. So I, I like it. They're, they're not terrible, but I'd, I'd sign up for 75 wins right now. So when we look to the future of Kansas City, Mondesi is, of course, the shortstop right now and pretty good one. Talk about a speed-power combination no. that he has. So with Bobby Wood Jr., and say he gets called up June, July, gets some more games after, of course, he missed all of last season with COVID-19 and yep. no minor league baseball, is he the second baseman for the foreseeable future? Is it Mondesi becomes expendable? When you look not just at this year, but a little bit deeper into the future, what do you see up the middle? Well, that's the question. I think this is make or break for Mondesi. I think mm. it's three years of player control left because of the way it works. But he's streaky. If he plays like he did last year in September, great. Then you really do have something. But if he kind of plays like he did the first part of last year, I, I don't know. And you're getting to a point you're going to have to. I think he's already lost sort of trade value right now for the Royals. So you're kind of hoping it pans out and then get him to an extension because he proves he's worthy. Um, I think Bobby Witt, I think you'd keep him at shortstop when you bring him up. Why put the burden on him of having to readjust and learn a position? I think Whit Merrifield, his batting average and his on base and all that is usually higher when he's at second base. So I really think it kind of comes down to this is make or break for Mondesi. Interesting. Uh, let's go to Jorge Soler, who two years ago just had the, the breakout. You're what he had fit, not just not quite fifty, right? Forty eight, forty eight home runs. Uh, and then last year in the shortened season, I mean, decent numbers. Um, what do you expect? What kind of spring has he had? And is Soler a guy that's going to come close to that forty eight number again? I don't know if he'll be forty eight. That might be. High. But if he could do like Santana did in 19 and hit about 34, 35, you know, right now it looks like the Royals have him batting in about the uh, sixth hole. And that's about right. Behind Perez, I kind of like the way the top of the line, you know, Merrifield and Benatende up top, Mondesi in third. So I don't know if he'll get 48, but if he can get 34, you'd really be having him. Mm-hmm. Now this is, I believe, his last year with the Royals, I think. So that's kind of a, a stopgap, and I think maybe that was part of the – uh, Salvi extension is that he may slide over and play a DH role at some point. So 34, 35 home runs would be fine, but he's kind of a guy, as a fan, I'm moving beyond because I don't think he's really part of the long-term future of the Royals. Brad Keller, 25. you got youngsters there with Singer, Danny Duffy, the veteran, Eunice at the back end of the rotation. It's, it's not a great rotation. It's not one you're going to be bouncing your grandkids on your knee talking about, but... <laughs> I think the depth is there. It's fine. It's fine, and I think it's fine in this division. Andrew, we were talking, and you know I'm, I'm pretty high on this Royals team. You're trying to temper your expectations a little bit. Mm-hmm. Would it be that rotation that is a big part of that? Rotation and bullpen. The bullpen improved greatly last year. You know, you got Brad Keller. Uh, obviously, you got uh, you know the guys we're talking about. I think Junis might move bullpen. I think Duffy, I think I'd rather see Duffy in the bullpen. Hmm. What the Royals did this offseason, though, is they acquired mass. You know, Irvin Santana's in there somewhere. 
Um, you know, they brought back Holland and Davis for the bullpen. Um, you know, so, and you got guys like, uh, you know, Stomont who could fill in. Mm-hmm. I think they went by it by numbers. And you're right. None of them, even Keller, as much as I like him, he doesn't wow you. What you really want to see as a role is Brady Singer establish himself as the guy, mm-hmm. and then maybe you can get Jackson Kowar up. Maybe Asel AC can come up, and then you might have a, a pitching rotation and bullpen that you could, you know, tell your grandchildren about. Right now, it's uh, in flux; it's a work in progress. And the Royals have attacked it by bringing in guys like Mike Miner, you know, names as many people as they can to hope they can kind of patch it up. Uh, we we sp- spent a little bit of uh, time before uh, before our last uh, our for our break talking about what the Cubs uh, embarrassingly did uh, did with their face of the franchise and Anthony Rizzo. Conversely, the Royals seemingly did the right thing with Salvador Perez, who I probably will end up in that DH. Well, I mean, he can't catch forever. You wouldn't think, especially the uh, the number of games that he's got on those knees of his. Yeah. But what what a difference yeah. in the two franchises, right? The uh, the Royals maybe overspent a little bit to keep. The the face of their franchise, while the Cubs lowballing Anthony Rizzo. I love what the Royals did there. I do, too, and I think the analytics guys will roll their eyes on this, but I do think sentimentality matters. Salvador Perez, you know, they have the, the three retired jersey numbers out in left field now. I think he'll be the fourth kind of thing, and you want those guys. And, and on one hand, you could say they're overpaying a little, and it's kind of true. But this is also the price of doing business. His contract is $82 million for four years is the biggest in Royals history, but that's not the biggest to a Houston, to a New York team, to a Los Angeles team. You know, some of it's the price of doing business, and I do think it matters in having a franchise icon uh, and, and keeping them. Mm-hmm. And by the way, he had a short season, but he had a pretty good season yeah. last year too. So there's also hope that you can maybe get a couple more years of him as a catcher. Hit over 330 last year, 11 home Jeez. runs, and still yeah. only 30 years old, which is incredible. The way they used him during those World Series oh. runs, uh-huh. I, I didn't know if he was going to make it to this point. <laughs> I don't know if he'd have knees <laughs> at this point. Yet he is out there and still at this level. But because of that, doesn't the front office have to say, yes, in terms of age, he's 30, he'll turn 31 in May, yep. but it's probably an old 31 and say, if there's somebody out there in August that really needs a catcher end of July – we're going to make that move because, unfortunately, we know Sal's not going to play till he's 35 at the catcher position. I don't think anyone would take that contract right now for the very reason. You're, you know, sometimes a player is more valuable in, with his team and his market mm-hmm. than he would be anywhere else. And that's Salvador Perez. I mean, he's not only a World Series hero, a guy you're going to retire his number and all that, but, you know, they bring him out for Chiefs games to do things and wave to the crowd. When they have charity events, he's the guy front and center. I mean, he means more. So to go to your point, maybe late. You know, people forget Dan Quisenberry and Willie Wilson at the very end of their careers did spend time with other teams. And maybe in a few years that happens with Salvi. But if he's at all um, capable of doing what he's doing, I think they want to do everything they can to make him sort of a royal for life. I could see it. I could see a George Brett type of uh, situation uh, after his playing days are over. All right, Andrew, we'll get you out of here on this. Help us out with the division. I mean, it's clearly there's those two teams at the top, right? The White Sox and the Twins. I think it's going to be an incredible fight between those two. It's disappointing that they don't see each other at all in the month of September and only have six games after the All-Star break. That's awful scheduling uh, when it comes to those two. But who do you like and why do you like them to win the division, whoever that is? 
I'm going to say the White Sox, and some of that is crazy as it sounds. You got Larusa back. Um, I know Jimenez has a pectoral muscle, so they could theoretically, I heard, get him back late in the year. And then you just got a pitching staff. Is it Giolito and Keuchel? Um, I just think the White Sox, it's their time. Now, I think the Twins will make the playoffs, but I just think the White Sox are going to be too tough. They, they've been building that minor league system for a while. I think it's paid off last year. It's going to pay off for the next few years. Uh, Royals will have fans in the ballpark, correct, at the K? 10,000. 10, if I remember correctly, the limit's going to be 10. Which, outside of opening day, yeah. where you'd obviously have 40, mm-hmm. yeah, 10,000 on a Wednesday would be pretty good. So I actually think I'm getting emails. They're still selling tickets. So I think, yeah, I've heard about 10,000. Currently, the win total posted at DraftKings, 74 and a half. Here's a free $100 to play with. Over under on Andrew Logue's Kansas City Royals, 74 and a half is the number. I'll take it 75. I'd go over as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the over. You. Yep, I'm with you. Hey, I hope you guys are right. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Logue, Andrew, great to catch up with you. Thanks for coming on. Hopefully the TV thing works itself out. Appreciate it. Talk to you guys later. Thank Absolutely. You. Andrew Logue on the Kansas City Royals. It's a good number, 74 and a half. Because I got it at the beginning of spring at 72.5. That was the opener. So, mm-hmm. And right now, the uh, big juice on this, too. Got a lay minus 124 on so the over. A lot of people think that the Royals mm-hmm. arrow is indeed pointing up. I'm anxious to see Witt. Boy, he tore it up yeah. in spring training after missing all last year. Ben Attendee's a guy that, I mean, he has to bounce back after last year. Mm-hmm. He played like a week of the regular season right. last year, and he was shut down. Um, but that I bullpen, think he, I, I think, is okay. The the rotation is okay. Young, with the exception of Duffy. The Tigers are going to stink. Right. I think the Indians are going to stink. And I think the, the selling off is going to continue there. What's the Indians number over the total? That's a good question. I'm going to guess 80. It's, it's right in that area. It is 81 and a half. I like, the I, under. I like the under, too. Uh, Cyclone conversation with Michael Swain, 24-7 Sports, CycloneAlert.com. When we come back, it's Miller and Condon. We're on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106- Flash Plunge. Miller and Condon, welcome back to Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO 106.3 on the FM dial. Time to talk some Iowa State spring football happening. Uh, TJ Otzelberger's staff coming together the latest, and I know nothing I don't recall. J.R. Blunt's coaching career, Colorado State's where his last stop was with Nico Medved uh, and Farouk Manesh, uh, but he is the latest, uh, joins uh, Kyle Green. Uh, those additions to the staff, including the ones we knew from last week. Let's get Michael Swain in here uh, from Cyclone Alert. Michael, Trent, and Ken, thank you for coming on. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you guys for having me on. It's been a uh, a little bit of a newsworthy Tuesday morning. It has indeed. It's been uh, it's been newsworthy coming out of the basketball offices. You kind of alluded to the fact that you didn't think that the um, that the last transfer uh, had put his himself in the portal uh, the last time we spoke. And sure enough, that number is now up to three. Am I accurate at that? Um, yeah, so we've got so far Tyler Harris, Darlin Stone, Dubar, and Dudley Blackwell yeah. um, are, are the players in the transfer portal right now. Um, you know, and then obviously they've added another transfer too. So it's mm-hmm. been a little bit of an active week so far. 
uh, on the transfer portal, at least over the last 10 days. But now that, you know, they've kind of figured out the staff in terms of the assistant coaches and the guys who can coach on the court and kind of get out and recruit, you know, it seems like the transfer portal might be picking up here over the next week. So uh, mention the coaching staff. I think most of us here in the state know a lot about Kyle Green, his connections to Minnesota. That's where they're going to be going. What can you tell us about J.R. Blunt, though, uh, a guy that doesn't have the same kind of connections here, recruiting territory, kind of where he's going to hone in? Definitely. I mean, he's really in the kind of the similar sense that the rest of the staff has been, where it's kind of the Midwest. He's mm-hmm. someone that played his college basketball at Loyola Chicago. He was a, a three-year captain there, super well-respected in the Chicago area, Good. has some ties up there. Um, uh, something to note, I think, that fans should know, is that he helped Colorado straight Colorado State bring in its highest-rated recruiting class in program history. So he's someone that if you're maybe going to compare him to someone else, it's maybe a little bit what of like a, a young T.J. Altsoberger was like, mm-hmm. where he's a high-energy guy, can really recruit, can kind of relate to some of the younger guys on the team. Because um, you look at the age profiles of some of the coaches, you know, T.J. Altsoberger um, is, isn't super young, but definitely isn't old by any means. But he maybe would fill in that, you know, being able to relate to some of the players and kind of like what Micah Byers does as well, you know, really having solid relationships with the guys. So. He's someone that's going to bring some recruiting prowess. He works with the guards, I believe, at Colorado State. So he's someone that I think is a, is a really solid hire and someone that I think has a, a high ceiling in terms of what he could bring just because of recruiting connections, the ability to kind of develop talent, and also really develop quality relationships with guys. Yeah, I didn't realize this. I got Travis Hines' piece who just posted at the Des Moines Register. Uh, he was here. He was in town. He, he was at Drake with Giacoletti, uh and then with Medved mm-hmm. before they went uh, went out west, so uh, knows the area. Uh, so I- interesting. So the transfer portal is open, and it continues to grow each and every day as we kind of speculated that it would, and then we might see that number at 2,000. We know, as you just mentioned, that uh, Otzelberger's already struck uh, plucking that kid from where Washington State, if memory serves. Um, how do you think they're going to handle this? Will they rush to, I mean, if the right guy is there, I would anticipate that they would grab him. Uh, or do they wait knowing that, uh, you know, if you a guy that you may take today, there might be somebody in there tomorrow that you wish you would have waited a couple of days before you. I mean, how do you think they're going to handle this with so many kids? For sure. I, I think it's a mixed approach because I think you've seen them kind of take the approach of let's take some guys that can fill out roster spots because right now, Iowa State has four open scholarships. So, you know, of course you need to fill the scholarships that you have with quality role players. So I think you'll see the staff probably add, you know, a couple guys that maybe aren't going to be the flashiest names, but guys that can kind of come in and just fill roles, whether it be off the bench or, you know, just specific things that they can bring to the table. And then kind of over the next few weeks into the next few months, I would expect them to try and really go after some of maybe the higher profile guys that are in the transfer portal you know, really kind of establishing that that Midwest connection, you know, maybe some Minnesota guys that were from Minnesota out of high school, maybe some Chicago guys, really trying to tap into that Midwest connection that T.J. Altelberger talked about a lot during his opening press conference. Let's get into football a little bit as we're talking with Michael Swain right now, 24-7 sports, cyclonealert.com. And jumping into, we hear from Jeff Myers, the offensive line coach, and I know Matt Campbell's got a background in offensive line. No, Manning's got a background in offensive line. But the John Myers has done with this group up front pieces that weren't highly regarded coming out of high school. We're not talking about you know a bunch of four and five star guys out there. He's done a really nice job. Your takeaway after hearing from Coach Myers yesterday, man, I, I really enjoyed getting to talk to him because I thought he was really honest about a lot of different facets of the offensive line room. Whether it's you know Trevor Downing having to knock some rust off 
after only playing a half of football, you know, in the during the 2020 season, or if it's talking about some of the younger guys like you know Jared Hufford or Grant Triber that have stood out to him so far, or if it's even talking about guys like Daryl Simmons or Jake Remsburg, you know, who he said they didn't necessarily anticipate them having to go in and play, you know, as redshirt freshmen without you know having a lot of in-game experience, and for them to perform the way that they did, you know, spoke to him. So I thought it was a, you know, really good to talk to him. And if you are interested, we do have a full kind of transcription of it up on mm. our website right now if you'd like to read into that. Um, but I, I thought it was really good information. And I'm really interested to see kind of over the course of the spring how things shake out because I think we saw last season that, you know, Myers isn't afraid and Coach Campbell isn't afraid to kind of switch things up on the offensive line. You saw Derek Schweiger, I believe, play three different spots, played both guard spots, played some right tackle in the bowl game. They're not afraid to mix things up, and Myers talked about that, you know, wanting to cross-train guys where he's not going to stick, you know, Trevor Downing at left guard for the entire fall camp and all of spring. He's going to move him around to kind of mix and match and figure out, you know, what the best combination for the offensive line is. So I'm really interested to see kind of how that starting group shapes out because you had seven guys start multiple games on the offensive line last season. Uh, Michael, I want to get back to the offensive line in a second, but just want to pick up something you said with the transcript. Do you plan on doing that at Cyclone Alert uh, with all of these press conferences throughout the spring? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I I always enjoy kind of going through everything, re-listening. So, yeah, I, I do it myself to kind of get a second okay. read on yeah. it. So I'll always post those. Good stuff. So Jake Remsburg got hurt last year late in the season. I thought he was a revelation when he got in at the right tackle position, got mm-hmm. that spot because of uh, injury. I thought, oh, God, now they're in trouble. Here comes a young kid at the right tackle. He, he, he looked like he belonged. He really and truly did. Um, how is he going into the spring as far as coming off the injury that ended his season late last year? Yeah, that was something that I wanted to ask, you know, Coach Myers about because we hadn't asked Coach Campbell about that. And she said that it, it wasn't super clear, but he made it sound like he won't be doing a ton of the pads, physical stuff. Um, he said they will focus a lot on the fundamentals and kind of maybe avoid the area, um, where the injury happened. You know, he was seen, uh, with his arm in a sling, you know, during the Big 12 title game. So you would assume it's an upper body injury of some sort. Don't want to speculate too much further than that. But um, so it sounds like he's going to be kind of not necessarily full go during spring, but the anticipation is he'll be kind of ready to go back full strength uh, when summer comes around. Sean Foster back for his sixth year. The offensive line, just absolutely crazy there. You know, I know they've been excited about the young guys coming in, but now it's going to be yet another year of sitting behind. How do you placate those guys? Because... Offensive line is not a position where you want to dink around a whole lot and put different combinations out there. How do you keep those young guys engaged knowing it's going to be more than likely another year sitting on the bench? That's a tough thing because with the COVID year, you know, they're guaranteed to lose one offensive lineman this year and Sean Foster. Outside of that, you know, Derek Schweiger will have a decision. Colin Newell will have a decision. And it is tough. And I think it's going to be like that for a lot of programs across the country now because of the extra COVID year. You know, you're really going to have to kind of recruit your own roster and show them that you have a plan for them to get playing time in the long term because, you know, guys want to play and it's understandable. Um, and so it is going to be an interesting dynamic and a tough dynamic for coaches, not only at Iowa State, but everywhere because, you know, the extra COVID year with the scholarship numbers and, and having the, the added year for development for a lot of these guys, you know, I wouldn't surprise me to see some of these guys end up being a higher level player if they do stick with it, because they could have an extra year where you're like Sean Foster in your sixth year and you're a 24 year old playing against, you know, 20 year olds on certain teams. So, you know, it's an interesting dynamic in terms of the personalities and you have to have a lot of buy-in, I think, as the group as a whole of showing each other that, 
hey, you know, you, it's next man up. You saw it last season. You know, Daryl Simmons and Jake Remster probably didn't go into fall camp thinking that right. they were going to play. Right. And sure enough, they probably worked and they earned their spots to where when their number was called, they were able to come in and really perform. So I think if you're, you know, Coach Myers, I think you could really show the other young guys in the offensive line room what happened with Simmons and Remsburg and say, hey, there is an opportunity for you here if you continue to work and really continue to improve over the course of this summer and then going into next season too. Uh, Michael Swain, a, a Cyclone Alert 24-7 Sports. Michael, we have about a minute left. Something you kind of mm-hmm. alluded to when you were talking about Ramsburg. It seems like this isn't going to be the most physical uh, spring practice session that uh, that we've seen maybe from some other Iowa State coaches or certainly throughout uh, college football. I read a piece that Campbell's going to take a different approach uh, mm-hmm. this year as far as that. Can you expand on that? Yeah, 100%. Um, keep it quick. Basically, you know, Coach Meyer said yesterday that they're going to try and keep a lot of the starters or guys that don't have a lot of game tape, try and keep them from doing a ton of physical work this spring of pads. They're really going to try and focus on the developmental aspect and really honing in on kind of the fundamentals and the technique and the scheme of the offense so that they can get kind of more tape on some of the young guys that didn't get to play last season because you think there wasn't the game against UNI. There wasn't the game against UNLV where these guys could get some extra experience. So they're really focusing on development and trying to make sure that those starters and the guys that are going to play a lot of snaps this fall, making sure that those guys are fresh when fall camp comes around. Uh, what coach do you get next? Do you know? I think it's Shield House on Wednesday. Um, I don't have the schedule gotcha. in front of me, though. Good stuff, uh, Michael. We'll talk to you in a week's time. Appreciate what you do for us, CycloneAlert.com. Whenever those press conferences happen, uh, within a day, seemingly, the transcript will be up at CycloneAlert.com. Michael, appreciate you coming on. Talk to you in a week. Yep, thank you, guys. Good to talk to you. Michael Swain, 24-7 Sports on Iowa State. Well, let's get into what happened yesterday in the high school football world here in Des Moines. Iowa conversation, bottom of the hour with Scott Dockerman. Miller and Condon till noon on 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM.